This is the book of 1 Samuel, right? Even though we haven't heard about Samuel for three weeks, we're getting back to Samuel today. And uh, Samuel, he's been doing stuff. He hasn't been absent. He hasn't been away. He's still been doing exactly what he always did. He didn't, um, his going around and prophesying and go around and, and judging for people and helping people make decisions, it didn't have anything to do with the Ark of the Covenant. He didn't, he didn't uh, perform any activities with the Ark of the Covenant as a part of what he was doing, which is kind of interesting. So the whole time the Ark of the Covenant's gone, Everybody's sad because they all thought that God's power sat on that golden box with angels on top of it, right? That's why they took it into battle. If we take this thing into battle with us, then we'll be able to fight. Never mind, all the priests are corrupt, all the priests' kids are corrupt, etc. I'm, re- I'm, I'm rehashing all of this because it'll be important here in a second. This is the uh, last time on Westminster Church, right? So they, they thought God sat on that thing and dwelled on it. And he kind of said that he did, but he wasn't limited to just that spot. So now it's come back after all the Philistine problems, and it came right back to a Levite town, and they knew how to handle it. And now they need to do something with it. And so the men, this is 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, the men of Kiriath-Jerim came... And took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. Notice they didn't take it back to Bethel. They didn't take it back to this family, right, that all died off except for Ichabod. That means the glory has departed. They took it to a whole different Levite city. It's a little bit more inland away from the Philistines. So they're saying, let's just get this thing as far away from the Philistines, right? Uh, They bring it in some. But it's also, these guys are honorable. They they are probably Levites that people know. These are honorable Levites. They do it right. They're not corrupted like Hopni and Phineas were and Eli and all that business. We're not going to do that again. The thing is, this is what they should have done Seven months ago, at least, right? How many times did they get the warnings? That did Eli get warned? That the, Remember, the man of God came. We don't know who he was. He was some kind of prophet. He came and warned Eli. They should have taken this whole thing, just shut those guys down, and hauled the whole thing off to another city before. But because it got stolen, because it got taken, because Eli was shook, and fell over and broke his neck because Hopni and Phineas were in the battle and they all got killed off. God kind of made his will happen through a different path, right? Which is kind of awful, kind of terrible, um, but it just shows that you, God, God has plans and he'll do them. And sometimes if, if, you're not the, if, if we don't cooperate with him, he'll just find somebody else to accomplish his task. It's not that it won't get done. So they consecrate, you got, you got this honorable man, he's got an honorable son, so you've got some lineage and you've got some longevity here. And it goes. 
From the day the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed. Some 20 years. And all of the house lamented after the Lord. So, basically for a whole generation, the ark was kept at this new place and it was good. It was a good place to keep it. They were able to do all the things. They were upright. But it says... 20 years, all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. I don't think that means that they lamented for 20 years. I think they said, this is where they took it. And you know, it stayed there for 20 years. And everybody lamented. Have you ever been driving in your car? Everything's cool. You're fine. You might be five miles an hour over the speed limit. Who cares? And the red and blue lights come on behind you. And you're you're super tense. And they go by really fast. And from that moment on, you're not driving one mile an hour over the speed limit, are you? You're paying more attention to that little dial than you don't even care what's on the road. There's like all kinds of little kids' balls bouncing in the street. You don't even care. You are not going over the speed limit. You're just... This is what happened to Israel. They, you know, they're getting beat down by the Philistines all the time. They just can't win. Look at the whole book of Judges losing over and over and over again to the Philistines. They say, this is it. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant out there. We're going to kick some Philistine butt. We'll show them. And the Ark of the Covenant gets stolen. And now it's like, whoa. Okay, wait. We could actually lose God. That's what they were thinking. We could actually, God could actually be turning us over to the Philistines. And the Ark of the Covenant would be lost. They didn't know they would ever get it back in that time. So all of a sudden they have that shock of, wow, we really are weak. We really are not as strong as we thought we were. Do you remember the year... After September 11th happened, what a stressful year that was. There were people mailing around anthrax in the mail, and everybody would freak out. Uh, there, were, there were all kinds of airplane, you know, everything's changing at the airport, even the Evansville airport. I, I tell people, I tell younger people that are like in their 20s that grew up when they fly in and out of Evansville, I'm like, you used to be able to walk out to the airplane, give somebody a hug, and help them up the steps. Like, I took my grandma into the plane once, and then I stepped out of the plane because I didn't have a ticket. I was just helping her to, I mean, like, wow. For years after September 11th, we lamented. We lamented as that first time you got on an airplane after September 11th and you were like, gosh, this is, the terrorists have one. I can't even take a tube of toothpaste on an airplane, you know, that kind of thing. I think this is also in this verse. Because whenever they went to worship God, whenever they went to the Ark of the Covenant, whenever they celebrated their Passover, whenever they celebrated the Day of Atonement, they had that lurking thing of, do you guys remember when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant? That it's not bulletproof? That we're not impenetrable? There would be a little bit of a lament in that. 
And so they may have lamented for 20 years, but it was a lament that was realizing God loves us and we're His chosen people and God is with us. But man, if we screw it up, He will turn us over to the Philistines. And there's, there is a sadness there. But it was good. Verse 3. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the bowels and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Okay, wait, hold on. They put away... The Baals and the Ashtaroth, it was a common custom in this day for people to have idols in their houses. Like a little prayer spot, like a little shrine. And they would have gods carved out of wood, probably wood because that was the cheapest way to go. And they'd have them in their house. And they would come and go and they would be, you know, go over to their little wooden god and say, Oh, wooden god, help us to have a good harvest of food this year. Oh, little wooden God. They wouldn't say, oh, little wooden God, right? They had a lot more reverence. They had a lot more faith in that little wooden God. Help us. But at the same time, they're lamenting. Oh, gosh. You know, they go to Yahweh God. And they say, Yahweh God, you're, you're the first and the last. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're great. Give us a good harvest. We Don't ever let us lose to the Philistines again. Oh, little God, oh, little wooden God in my house. Give me some good, smart kids. Help my daughter to get pregnant so I can have some grandbabies. Little wooden God. They were still doing that. And so this, this wake-up call, hey, hey, the ark can get stolen. Get rid of your stupid wooden gods in your house. Cut them down. I love, I love the way he says it. Uh, put it all away. Get, um, turn to the Lord with all of your heart. You can't serve the Lord your God and still have a little section over here for your wooden God, for your wooden idol. Get rid of it all. Get rid of it from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. You know what? Samuel isn't saying anything new. This is, of the Ten Commandments, this is number one. This is the first of the Ten Commandments. And Samuel's just repeating it to them. Okay, okay, Israel. We started with Moses. Let's start over again. Get rid of the, fat and, the little golden calf. Love the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and serve Him only. Have no other gods. So the people of Israel put away the bells and the astroths and they served the Lord only. This didn't even happen in the days of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. I mean, why should it, right? If the leaders are going over to the, the lady that works at the door and serving her, right? If their hearts are divided from the Lord the people won't be either. So then Samuel says, Get all of Israel together at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. 
So they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water, and they poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted on that day. And they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. Wow! It is a, it is a national time of repentance. They've all come together at this place, Mizpah, which we've been here before in the book of 1 Samuel, but I won't tell you when yet, just yet. It's this big crossroads. It's like um, giant, their archaeological digs have shown that there are giant roads that went in all four, north, south, east, west, that all came together at Mizpah. It was like a big central spot. The pouring out of water, so water is hard to get. You have to work hard. You have to find a spring. You have to dig a well. You have to go to a stream. And to pour it out is a way of making an offering. It's like this is part of our offering. We're, and we're pouring it out. We're repenting. It's also symbolic of them crying. Of we're just, we're, We are so grieving. It's like we're crying so hard. We're just, if I wanted to just show you guys how sad I was, and I just pulled out buckets of water and I just poured water all over the stage up here. And I said, This is how much I've been crying over this. That's what they're doing. They pour out these offerings. Say, God, it's like we're crying and we're just flooding the, the ground with our tears. We've sinned against the Lord. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So Philistines, we just got to say, these guys got some of the best spies in the whole Bible. Because every time Israel does something, the Philistines know about it. And they know that this is happening. And they're saying, oh... Let's go. Let's go attack Israel. You're like, why would they think that? Okay, well, let's see here. Don't look at any headings. But if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Okay, so when I was in high school, I went to Harrison. And there's a church called Aldersgate that's right up the hill from, from Harrison. And they would do outreach to the high school students because we had open campus. We could go anywhere we wanted to for lunch. So they would have really cheap Domino's pizza and foosball and air hockey and all kinds of ping pong and all kinds of cool stuff you could do and you could buy really cheap pizza and then they'd have a Bible study for anybody that wanted to come to the Bible study and it was kind of over in the corner and a couple kids would go to it and I went to it once but I wasn't really interested. I was more interested in the cheap pizza and the foosball. So I could say, when I retell the story, I would go to Aldersgate, you know where, where I married my wife, and I would play foosball and eat cheap pizza. Okay, what, when did you get married? Like, did you get married when you were in high school? No. I was playing foosball in, uh, what was that, like 90, 1990, I'm playing foosball and eating cheap pizza. In 99, I married my wife at that church. But I could refer to it as that because it's so long ago, it's all mushes together, right? And I know my places. So when I talk about... So when whoever wrote 1 Samuel, back at chapter 4, 
All of Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up lines against Israel. The battle spread. Israel was defeated. They bring out the Ark of the Covenant. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They're retelling this story after everything has happened. This place wasn't called Ebenezer. When they say they gathered at Ebenezer, it wasn't called Ebenezer when they gathered there. It was called Mizpah. So now that you know that that place is called Mizpah, let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel said, gather all of Israel at Mizpah. So they're all gathered there. So when the Philistines see everybody gathered there and they're all crying and they're pouring out water, the Philistines are like, you know what? 20 years ago, or maybe a year ago, because the Ark of the Covenant was gone for seven months, right? That's the last place we beat Israel really bad. Let's go back there and beat them again. Last time we fought them there, we stole their God. They completely forget all the tumors, all the rats. Let's go there and beat them again. It's the same place. Last time Israel was here, they said, let's get out our big religious thing. Let's get out our big golden religious thing and show it around and show off how religious and holy we are. And that will beat the Philistines. What are they doing now? They're crying out to God. They're actually being religious. They're not just showing off how religious they are with this big golden box. They're actually on their knees, crying out to God, pouring out their tears. Lord, save us. They were afraid. The people of Israel said to Samuel, Don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us. He may save us. They're not trying to do anything on their own. They're not trying to show off their awesome Ark of the Covenant anymore, are they? They're just showing God how desperate and in need they are. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. It says, Samuel took a, um, a nursing lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. All over in Leviticus, there's rules on offerings, and you keep this part for yourself, and you keep this part for the Levites, and you give this part to God. Samuel was like, God, I'm giving the whole sacrifice to you. We need you to save us. You are our only hope. As Samuel was offering up, oh, and Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. It could stop there, and that would be enough, right? The Lord answered him. Here's how the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. So, the Philistines don't follow Yahweh. They don't serve Yahweh. They serve Ashtaroth and Tiamat and these other, other gods of their regions. One of those gods is the god of thunder, not Thor. But he's the god of thunder. And God makes it thunder to scare away the Philistines. If you, were, if you were a current person in this time, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. God is, ev- the, the God of Israel is even over 
the gods of the Philistines. Well, if you didn't know that from busted up Dagon, you would know it here when God sends the thunder to throw them into confusion. They were defeated before Israel. At that point, the men of Israel realize God is back. He is going to help them. And they go and they fight. The men of Israel went out from Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, struck them as far as Bethkar. So they, they took their land back. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. So this place that used to be called Mizpah is now called Ebenezer. That's why they refer to it as Ebenezer back in chapter 3. It was like the church that I used to go play foosball at that I got married at nine years apart from each other, not on the same day. We didn't even play foosball at our wedding reception. Samuel sets this stone up and he names it Ebenezer and he says, Till now the Lord has helped us. This is a marker, this is a monument. It's not an idol to go over and, and ask for help, right? It's a thing to say, look, you guys, God has helped us all this way. God has brought us all this far. And it's kind of a way of repenting for saying, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, it's going to save us. We can do it. To say, you know what? It's all the Lord. It's all God. It's all His power. There's a great thing that I've done that's helped me a lot. And then I realized how broken and flawed it was that like, we'll go on a place or we'll go somewhere. We'll go do something cool. And it'll be like this great family adventure or maybe it's a retreat. And I'll get a rock. Just a little rock. And I bring it back and I have this big bowl by my desk at home. And I stick it in that bowl. And it's like, I get that rock out and I'm like, that was when I got to go preach these junior high kids and Isaac did a zip line like 12 times in a day and we had this great, you know. But I didn't write anything on the rocks and now I've completely forgotten and I have this big bowl of rocks and I don't remember exactly what they are. So about a year ago, I started writing on them. So I get the Sharpie out and I write. David's birthday, we went bike riding. I honestly thought I was going to die. I put the date on it and I sit that over there. Times when I've been without a job and I've been looking for a job. The bedtime stories that I tell every night are stories about how God worked miracles every single job I got. Every time I got hired. What is that doing? That's Ebenezer. That's saying, look and remember how far God has brought us. Look and remember how God brought us through this thing and that thing. You guys probably have this when you... The button pops off of the cushion on the pew. And you're like, remember when we got those cushions? Right? When you change the, the, the banners and the fabric. And you're like, remember when we... Remember that one that was so worn out and we kept using... You know, you remember these things. It's worth it to set up Ebenezer's in your life to remember God's faithfulness. It's better than naming your kid Ebenezer. Right? 
setting these things up. So Samuel says, okay, look, you're really turning to God. You're really repenting. You've, you've cut down all the idols in your homes. You're serving the Lord wholeheartedly. We're going to set up this thing here to remember, to be a witness. God brought us this far. God brought us through all this stuff. The other time to do that is when stuff is awful. To recognize God is bringing me through this right now. And I have no idea how. And I don't see any sign of it. And it doesn't feel like it. But when you get to the other side of it, you'll be really glad that you worship God through it rather than look back and say, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have grumbled so bad. I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time dishonoring God with my grumbling because He was carrying me through that event. We've had events that we heard about later that somebody didn't tell us this was going on or somebody didn't tell us that was going on and I checked the calendar and I see what it lined up with and I'm like, if I would have heard about that when it was happening, I would have been completely disheartened. I think the Lord helped me by not letting me find out about that at that time. He, he works with us in our weakness. So he sets up the stone. The Philistines were subdued, did not again enter the territory of Israel. If you just read the whole book of Judges and you read that sentence right there, the Philistines never did not again enter the territory of Israel. God has returned. The people have returned to him. He has returned to them. Wow. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all of the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken were restored from Ekron to Gath. Israel delivered their territory away from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace between Israel and the Amorites, which is another group of people. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. So basically, Samuel is a judge, just like in the book of Judges. And every year he makes a tour, just like the guys used to tour down at the rescue mission, and they would hit all these you know, preaching spots and do, a, do revivals and things. Samuel does that. Goes all through and, and teaches everybody to keep everybody on track. And then he stays home at his home. So, ah, peace has returned, right? We end chapter 7 with the Ark of the Covenant is in its place with the righteous and holy priesthood. Samuel is a good old judge. All the people have put away all their idols. And uh, you know how that goes, so I should just stop right there so you can have a good week. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you respond to us when we repent and turn back to you. Thank you so much that, uh, like that song, we could take a thousand miles away, a thousand steps away from you but just one step to turn around and be back in your presence and to be close to you. We praise you, Lord, that you are always interceding on our behalf. That, Jesus, you are always right there at the right hand of the Father, putting in a good word for us, saying blessings about us. 
that you're always speaking to us to encourage us and to help us. We thank you, Lord. We want, we want to have a life full of Ebenezer's showing how you have helped us. We want to be able to see it when it happens and always remember it, Lord. We praise and exalt your name, Father. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 381 together. As you go out, don't be like Mizpah and...
be like, oh, we should do this, 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 but still be divided in our love for the Lord. Be like Ebenezer, right? And just devote it all to the Lord and watch him show off. God bless you this week. Thank you. That was good. So, next week.